Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. As I mentioned before, we are finishing off our series in the book of Ruth. And so if you've got your Bibles there today, or it will be on the screen behind me as well, we're going to read through Ruth chapter 4, and uh, Ross will come up in a moment and preach for us. Uh, And our uh, Bible reading today is Ruth chapter 4, verse 1 to 12. This is what it says. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer uh, he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, Tell me, so I will. No, for no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. And Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this the guardian redeemer said, And I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and to all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Marlon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Marlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman, who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel, may you, uh, may you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring of the Lord gives you by this young woman. May your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Good morning, everyone. It is good to be here. It's good to get to the end of Ruth in that if you've been here the last month or so on the journey, it has been an exciting journey. It's one of those books of the Bible that has a story about real people, real events. It actually teaches us so much about God, but also how we live out our lives with God. And one of the big questions is about how do we make decisions under God's authority? God is in control, but yet we have responsibilities. This whole God's sovereignty, but we're meant to use our wisdom and knowledge in our decision-making. I just thought, if you're wrestling with that, how does that work out and you want to think further 
At the back of the growth group books, there's a couple of pages of just notes on other Bible verses to think about, how do we know what God is like and our decision-making. Uh, and yeah, if you want to look into it further, there's more info in the back of your growth group books if you've got one of those, which is cool. Uh, how about I pray as we get into this last chapter? Dear Father God, just thank you that uh, you've been on this journey with us, revealing yourself to us, not just in our day-to-day -day lives, you walk with us, but you teach us how you've walked with other people as well. And I pray that as we uh, consider these things this morning, you'll reveal yourself to us and how we're to live for you and trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. We all like a hero, even a superhero. Superheroes are, are good. Oh, you know, let your imagination go. They always turn up, they see trouble, they're there, they're reliable, they're dependable, they fix people's problems. And everybody steps back and goes, wow, that is awesome. So much so, let's make movies about superheroes. We love a good hero. And even to the point of, I want to be a hero. I would love to be a hero to see a need, jump in, fix the problem. And even for people to go, wow, that's awesome. Maybe even get a movie made after me. That would be awesome. I'm not sure what my superpower would be. I'm not sure what, if you've ever thought about, if you had a superpower, what would it be? And how you would use it to help other people. But there's this idea, there's something inside of all of us that want to stand up when other people need us. To be the hero that they need, to fix people's problems. And as we look at the book of Ruth, we see what a modern-day hero kind of looks like in Boaz. There's characters in this story to see, to show us what a hero is like. But there's this tension, as we talked about before in the book of Ruth, how do people be heroes? How do people step up, meet people's needs, help people? But yet under a sovereign God, a big God, who is he's in control of everything. So isn't that all the more reason we don't have to step up? We can just leave it for God to fix the problems. Because he's a big God. How is it the hero? I mean, when we look at the Bible, who's the hero of the Bible? Well, the kids' church guys say Jesus. Jesus is the hero of the Bible. Why do I need to step up? So as we get into the book of Ruth, we feel that tension. Where's my place in this? Where's God's place in this? How does this fit together? There's a few characters we need to get to know that's led us up to this chapter 4, if you haven't been on the journey with us. So let me give you a quick overview. There is Naomi. Naomi uh, was married to a guy called Elimelech. They had two sons. They moved away from God's people in Bethlehem to a place called Moab, a very uh, traditionally a, a wicked and evil nation they went and during that time Naomi's husband died and her two sons died we're not sure how bad batch of mushrooms we're not told about her cooking or anything like that we're just left to is that too soon for that we're not sure how they died but they moved away from God into Moab they died she comes back to Bethlehem back to God's people back to God's nation and she's got nothing in fact she said I went away full I've come back empty and she's bitter. Don't call me Naomi, which means beautiful. Call me bitter. Because I'm, I'm cranky on my situation and what God has done in my life. I'm not happy. That's Naomi, the mother-in-law now. Well, she's known as the mother-in-law who's uh, come back to God's people. Ruth, the daughter-in-law, because while they were in Moab, the sons got married. Uh, one of the daughters returned back to Moab. The other one stayed 
with Naomi, so that's Ruth, the daughter-in-law, we get into chapter 2 and shows how she is trusting God. She's made statements, your God is my God, your people is my people, and she's there to help her mother-in-law, Naomi. So she goes out to the fields to try and glean some food because they had no income, because at that time, this is like 1300 uh, years before Christ, so second century BC, uh, in that time, no social security system. Uh, women are very vulnerable because it's a very patriarchal system and they need uh, a redeemer or uh, a protector, provider over their household. Naomi has lost her husband, she's lost her sons, there's no men in the house, it's just her, you know, a, a bitter older woman and her daughter-in-law, Ruth, who's a Moabitess, which when you hear that Moabite, she's from that evil country, that wicked country. So it's like, this is not looking good. But Ruth then goes out of the field to glean some food and it just so happens, it says in chapter 2, like, is it coincidence or is it God at work that she ends up in a field where she gets looked after, she gets cared for because she's very vulnerable, she's a younger uh, woman, a widow, um, by this man called Boaz. Boaz appears to be a bit of a hero. Boaz is a godly man, he looks after her, uh, protects her, makes sure she gets plenty of food and he seems to be keeping an eye out for her and makes sure she's uh, well looked after. So he appears to be a bit of a hero. But then, uh, this is, that happens at the start of this harvest season, harvest season goes for about six weeks, we get to the, towards the end of the harvest season, nothing happens. What's Boaz doing? In fact, our growth group calls this uh, the second century BC version of the farmer wants a wife. It's kind of, Boaz is there, he's got the farm, he's got the women uh, serving in his fields, working for him, and he's there, he's got the girls there, but a bit like farmer wants a wife, they, once they've got the girls there, they don't know what to do with them, they're just not sure how to talk to them. So he's, we're ended chapter two as a bit of a, What's go is Boaz the hero because these women need a protective provider but he's kind of, he's there but he's not there and chapter 3 comes around and Naomi says, hey, I've got a plan, Ruth, you need to get Boaz's attention, get cleaned up, uh, get dressed up, get his attention and then Ruth says to Boaz three things, basically, you know I'm single, you know uh, you prayed for a protector provider that God would spread his wing over me and now you can spread your wing over me, you could be my protector provider because you're actually, and she uses this word, you're a kinsman redeemer, meaning uh, you're actually in line to look after us in that, uh, in that age. If your husband died and you didn't have a protector provider, a cousin or a relative would marry you or take you into the house to look after you. And she's going, hey, I'm single, you prayed for a protective provider and you're a redeemer, you could be doing something about this. Here's the, she kind of, she's not proposing that he marry her, but she's proposing that he proposes to marry her. You know, the gentle hint, can we move this along? So then we hit chapter four that we're up to now. And the question is, is Boaz going to do something about it? Because there is a problem, he's not the closest kingsman redeemed he's not the first in line you might say he's not responsible for looking after them as the protector provider there's someone else closer he can't just marry her there's a problem but he says i'll sort it out and we all know this 
this dilemma, right, that he's in. It's like, okay, I feel like I want to marry her. I feel like I want to look after her. I want to be the hero. I want to be the protector provider. But, you know, there's some, that's somebody else's duty. That's not my job. So what do we do? Do we let God sort this out? Because this is bigger than me. It, is, it, is it a God thing that we just sit back and wait to see what God does? Or is it up to me to step in and make something happen? Where do we fit in a lot of decisions we make? Day-to-day stuff. What should I just pray and leave to God? Or what should I just pray and just get in and give it a good shot? Well, Boaz is going to get in and give it a good shot. This is where we pick it up in chapter 4. Uh, he's had the conversation with Ruth, where she says, are you going to look after us or not? Boaz then, uh, and this is where the writer is very intentional the way the story is told. There is one f- character particularly in focus in this first half of the chapter, and it's Boaz. Let's look at how the emphasis is on Boaz. There's lots of detail about what he's doing, but it's all about Boaz. Boaz went to the town gate and sat there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came came along the the town gate is where all the business deals it's like the business center so that's why they're at the town gate the other garden redeemer comes along the guardian redeemer boaz had mentioned comes along boaz says to him come over here my friend sit down boaz is giving the instructions and what does he do he listens so he went over and he sat down Boaz is in control of this whole situation. Boaz even took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And what did they do? They listened to Boaz and they did it. Boaz is in total control of this situation. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, this is, this is what we're talking about here at the, in this meeting of the elders, the town elders and this guardian redeemer. He lays out what's going on. Naomi, the mother-in-law, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. They're relatives, so the guardian redeems. I thought I should, this Boaz, I'll bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except for you, and I am next in line. It's interesting the timing of this and the way Boaz uh, puts the case forward. Boaz is not the closest guardian redeemer. It's not his responsibility, you might say. It's not his duty. It's not his job to step in and do it. Now, but six weeks has passed, we know, from the start of harvest to the end of harvest. Six weeks has passed, at least, since Naomi has come back into town as a widow looking for a guardian redeemer, somebody to protect and provide for her. Six weeks has gone by and these guys are relatives, they're probably cousins of Elimelech. In fact, the, the guardian redeemer is the closest, is not even named. I think he's commonly known as Cuz or something. The Cuz is kind of, he should have known. His relative has come back into town. And he's, it's his first in life, it's his duty, it's his responsibility to step up and look after her. And the way Boaz is going, I just want to bring this to your attention because I don't think you even know what's going on. It's even Boaz taking control of the situation, he's actually making the other guy kind of look a bit 
bad because Boaz knows what's going on. But the guy, without thinking about it too much, I will redeem it. I will redeem it. So he's going to look after the land, going to take the land, going to look after Naomi, marry Ruth. That's the way the deal goes. I'll redeem it, he says. Now, the way this story has flowed, Boaz is kind of meant to be the hero that we're sort of pointed towards. Boaz is kind of, it's meant to work out this, this is like the grand finale, the last episode. How's it, you know, farmer wants a wife. Are they going to get married? Is everything going to work out? The marriage, the, the baby, the happy ending. But now this other guy, old cuz, who doesn't know what he's, what's been going on, steps in and goes, oh, it's all right, I'll look after this. I'll take it from here, thanks very much. What's Boaz going to do? He's trying to be the hero. He's trying to step up. Oh, well, this God has shut the door. God shut the door. It's, I gave it a shot. It's over now. But he doesn't. No, no. I think I, think I actually can do a better job thinking along the lines of that. So Boaz comes back. Boaz says, have you read the fine print? On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth... The Moabite. Remember, we hear Moabite. Oh, that girl from that evil country. Uh, they're wicked. Do you want to marry uh, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, uh, and have children with her? Because the expectation is to carry on the family name to, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. That kid's going to... Uh, you're going to have kids with them and they're going to inherit the land and continue the land in their family. That's the way it worked in that culture. That's a whole level of complication then, isn't it? Because you've got to think through the implications. We're not told if old Cuz had a family, he might have been married and had kids himself. And what does it do to bring in uh, a Moabite as your wife, expecting to have children with her? And also is implied that, you know, the land you're going to inquire, it's got a house on it, and you know in the upper room of the house, there's Naomi, the cranky old woman, uh, and she comes with the house. You can't get rid of her. She stays there and you're meant to look after her as well. You get the whole lot. Now again, old Cuz doesn't really know what's going on. He doesn't know the detail. He has to rethink the plan. He comes back and says, I cannot redeem it because it might endanger my own estate. You redeem it for yourself. I can't do it. What he's referring to there, it sounds like he does have family, he does have kids, and they're going to inherit his land. If I have more kids, I split the inheritance more ways, this gets way complicated, way messy. doesn't seem to be a problem uh, for Boaz. Boaz seems to be single and no kids. But then there's this crazy thing about doing a deal. Things are working out for Boaz, but it's not done till the signature's on the contract, except for they don't sign contracts in those days. They pull off their shoe and hand it over as an exchange of contract. So then, old Cuz uh, is a guardian redeemer, says to Boaz, buy it yourself. Hands him a shoe, this is a done deal. It's also a fancy way if you want to upgrade your shoe collection, I think. Look for somebody with better shoes than you to do business deals with, and you probably upgrade your, your shoe collection. You might only have odd shoes, but you know, at least they're better than your old shoes. But they swap shoes and it's like, this is working out. But be clear on who's the hero here. It's Boaz. 
Boaz is doing, Boaz has done the deal. Boaz got the, the redeemer, the cuz. Boaz got the elders sit down. Boaz proposes, like, you don't know what's going on. So he tells him, Boaz says, you need the fine print? Yeah, you've got it. But then Boaz announces to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion and Malon. That's the dad and the two sons that had died back in Moab. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite. You know, because this is, we're looking at the, you know, farmer wants a wife, the romance, is Boaz going to get together with Ruth? This is actually the proposal, the engagement and the wedding all in one sentence. This is the way they did it in 2nd century BC. I have acquired Ruth as my, my wife. Ruth's not even there to say her vows, but that's all right. That's the way they did it. I have acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. So he's planning to have kids with her to do what is expected so that his name will not disappear from among his family or his hometown. Today, you are witnesses. This is all Boaz, Boaz, Boaz. It's very clear who the hero is of this story. In fact, there's no mention of God to this point. Boaz has organised it. Boaz has done the speeches. Boaz has committed himself. Boaz, he's the good guy. He's stepped up. He's the hero. And he's come through. He's saving not only uh, marrying Ruth, but also Naomi as well. He's looking after them. This is what a hero is like. What he's done. He's a man of honour. And it's interesting when you look at just him in this chapter, like, man, Boaz has really stepped up. He's very, we admire him for that. But in the whole of the story of the four chapters, he's also a big hero. He's an inspiration. He's the model of what a hero looks like. So we've actually been introduced to three men on this journey. Elimelech, Naomi's first husband, he seemed to be a leader, seemed to be an independent thinker and a risk taker by saying, hey, let's move town to Moab. But it was actually a very foolish decision, very foolish risk, and it didn't work out well for any of them. Cuz, the cousin, the first uh, kinsman redeemer, we don't know much about it. He doesn't seem to be a bad guy. He doesn't do anything, doesn't do anything wrong, but kind of like, well... That's the point. He doesn't do anything. He should have known that Naomi was back in town. He should have known that he was the closest relative. He should have known he should have fixed them. He was responsible. But in fact, it's like, oh, actually, that's going to complicate my life. I'm going to step back. I'm going to move, move out of this situation. But Boaz steps in and fixes up the mess from others. He turns up, he's dependable, he's reliable, he's trustworthy. He points others to God. If you've been on the story, he's always praying for people, blessing them, praying for good things to have for them. Boaz cares for people and points them towards God. He is the hero compared to these other guys. Elimelech led his family away from God. Kaz just didn't step up. But Boaz turns up dependable, reliable, trustworthy points others to God. It's interesting when we look at what makes a hero. Now for Boaz, this is in the story of Ruth, but actually his later generations see him as the hero. Uh, a few uh, generations later, when uh, 
Solomon's building the temple in Jerusalem, the temple to God, one of the, the pinnacle of the Jewish faith was this temple. And at the front doors of the temple, there's this little porch and two massive pillars. They actually name one of the pillars Boaz. Put a plaque on it and go, yeah, we're calling it. Because Boaz is reliable, uh, dependable, points others to God. We want to remember him as we see this pillar. So they honour him. He is a hero. What does that mean for us? How can I be a hero like Boaz? In my situation in life, you know, how can I be a good influence or see other people's in need and help them? How can I be that sort of hero, be a Boaz for the people around me? Well, the question's kind of the same. What makes a hero? Turning up, dependable, reliable, trustworthy, pointing others not to ju just God, for us living this side of the cross, we know God through Jesus. Point people to Jesus through your actions, through your words, through your prayers. That's what a hero looks like. And we can all be that kind of hero. We can all be a Boaz. Whether we're at school and we see our, our friends that are struggling, we can be that friend who's dependable, reliable, trustworthy, pointing them to Jesus. We can do that even as a kid. We can do that even if you're at home changing dirty nappies and frustrated with the mundane things of life. Even for our kids, turning up, dependable, reliable, trustworthy, pointing them to Jesus. It's the long gig, but it's big. Even sitting here at church, you know, I'm a nobody at church. How can I be a Boaz? How can I be the hero at church? Same deal. Turning up, dependable, reliable, trustworthy, pointing others to Jesus. If you ask any of our team leaders, who makes the best team members? No, just turning up is half the thing. But doing it in a way that points others to Jesus is amazing teams. They serve us so well here at church. Heroes at church as well. We all can do this. And we all can be that hero. We're not going to be able to wear the cape that stands out. That does not make us a hero but our actions, our words, our choices makes us a hero. They're not going to make a Marvel movie and, and put us as characters in it. The world's not going to recognise that sort of hero. But this is what Boaz does. And in contrast to the others, he is a real hero. And he steps up and he makes things happen and he comes in taking the responsibilities and he does it. But hang on, we've looked at the first half of the chapter. There's no mention of God. It's all about Boaz, Boaz the hero. And I think that's very intentional by the writer to go, look at this guy, because we can all learn something from this guy. But how does this fit in with the big picture of God? We haven't heard God mentioned yet. Because we hit a turning point here in this verse, where now it's all about God and not about Boaz. The story goes on. So Boaz has made the speech and when the elders and all the people at the gate said, yes, we are witnesses, deal done. Who do they turn to? God. They're going to say, God, they're going to put Boaz's future now in the hands of God for his family, for his nation and for them in the history of how God's working through Israel. May the woman who is, who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing on Ephra and Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman. May your family be like 
that of Perez, who Tamar Tamar bore to Judah. It's like, no, no, it's good job, Boaz, but now we know that it's all about God, right? We're going to pray for you, commit to you before God, because God's the one who makes things happen. God is in total control. We're going to pray, not just wish you well, but wish you that God would uh, go with you in these things. Then after that, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Then he made love to her. The Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. What happens when uh, blokes get together, uh, they're starting a family, the wife's fallen pregnant, they have a baby. Who gets congratulated? Dad. Good on you, Dad. Taps on the back. Good job. You've worked hard. Congratulations for all this stuff. But no, this story's about Boaz. It's not about Boaz. It's the Lord enable her to conceive. It's God that's in total control of this situation. God made these things happen and come together. There's no doubt that God is at the front of everybody's mind pulling uh, things together. The women then get together. They've got to talk about what just happened. What do they say? Praise be to the Lord. Not good on Boaz. No, no, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a garden redeemer. So the women are talking to Naomi, the mother-in-law. This day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. So what happens in their culture? Naomi, the older mother-in-law, still needs a protector provider um, to help her. The baby, the son, is now going to play the role as her guardian redeemer, the way that culture worked. May he become famous throughout Israel, talking about the son, He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. And the woman uh, living there said, Naomi has a son. So it's now considered it's Naomi's son, not Ruth's. The first child is a guardian redeemer for Naomi. Naomi's not stealing the child. I do know of some grandparents who love stealing children and I know they do that. I'm married to one, so uh, if my wife picks up your child, she's not stealing them, but grandmas love kids. You can see Naomi here. Naomi's been on a journey. The story started with them in Moab, her burying her husband, her burying her two sons. It started with funerals. Now we get to the end of the story, there's a wedding, there's babies, there's a redeemer. It's all happening. Naomi come back empty, but now we see she's full. Like this is a big turnaround. Who gets the credit? The Lord. God made this happen. God put things together. God has answered the prayers. God has given them this ending. But it's not just what's going on for them now. They're actually going to commit to the Lord. The writer kind of takes a step back and look what they're praying for for the future and how this is going to work out throughout history. Uh, They named him Obed. Uh, He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Talking about King David. So how this plays out. This then is the family line of Perez. So it ends with a genealogy. Actually... When you take a step back, you actually look at genealogies, not what happened in this generation, but a whole bunch of generations, and you can see, right, that God's had his hand on all this. That um, Boaz and Ruth had Obed, who's King David's 
grandfather. King David's going to be the greatest king that Israel had. And he was the one who was going to lead them all to, to this safety. He was going to be the protector provider for the whole nation. But he had his faults too. In fact, if you continue to follow the family tree, it's king after king after king who had their faults. They lived up to great expectations that Israel were hoping for them to be the hero. But actually, it's when you hit Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 starts with a genealogy, uh, you know, start of that book about Jesus. Before we get to Jesus, let's see what God's been doing up to this point. And he goes through this family tree, talking about Boaz marrying Ruth, a Moabite. They're in Jesus' family tree. God used them to get to King David, had a, wasn't going to be their, their, their redeemer, gets to Jesus, who is ultimately their redeemer. It's also interesting, in that genealogy, Boaz's mum is Rahab the prostitute. That's an earlier story. Won't go into all that. But it's kind of saying, do, can you see what God's been doing here? From generation to generation to generation, he's been using ordinary people, in fact, surprising people, to stand up and be heroes and be introducing God's own son into the world. They're all there. Surprising people that God has used to bring Jesus into the world. But then, as we've sort of looked really close into the events of this day and this group of people, and as we step back and see the generations and see God's plan coming out, we see how this just gives us a little taste of a redeemer who that Jesus is. Because Jesus comes along as God's son, and he is called our redeemer, the redeemer of the world. In 1 Peter 1, verse 18, it describes him like this. So this is this side of the cross now after Jesus uh, was killed on the cross, resurrected from the dead, ascended into heaven. Peter says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Now we kind of go, if my life is feeling empty, if my, if my life is feeling like uh, I'm making a mess of it, I don't have the answers. What's going to fix my problems? What's going to redeem me from my emptiness? Silver and gold would be a good start. Money fixes everything, right? No, no, Peter says. Better than silver and gold. God redeemed you with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without a blemish, a defect. Jesus comes and be our redeemer, not just by giving us stuff and making us prosperous, but actually paying the price by giving his life. So our life can be restored. Our life can be made right with God. Jesus actually brings us into the presence of God so we can be called children of God. He uses language like we get the inheritance of God. We're in the family because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, our Redeemer. How long was God planning this, this plan of redemption? goes on in verse 20. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. God was planning it way before King David, way before Boaz and Ruth. At the creation of the world, God was planning to send Jesus as our Redeemer. It was no coincidence Boaz got together with Ruth. It was no coincidence King David come along. It was no coincidence that Jesus come along. It's no coincidence that we're here sitting today. God's putting these things together. You go, well, 
hang on, I chose to come here this morning. Actually, God had this plan that before the creation of the world, we would meet together as a church family looking over this scripture. God's planning this how he can show you how loving and graceful, gracious he is to us. He's been planning it. That's how big. It's like Boaz is the hero. And he's a big hero. He's somebody I've been challenged by and aspire to be like a Boaz to the people around me. But in light of Jesus, Jesus the ultimate redeemer, Jesus the ultimate hero, Boaz is like this little shadow over here because Jesus is so bright. Jesus is the one we need. We need a redeemer like him because we can't save ourselves. This whole story of Ruth, zooming into this little family unit, but then zooming out to show, actually, we all fit into this story somewhere. And it's under a great God. He is our hero. He's redeemed us and brought us into his family. There's lots for us to give, thank, to give thanks to God for. But there's also a challenge here for us too. What difference does that make? If we've experienced a hero like Jesus, we then can be a hero to others. That's the difference it makes. It doesn't give us an excuse to step back. It gives us reason to step up. How about I pray? Dear Father God, just thank you for walking with us through this story of Ruth. I thank you for these real people and, and for people like Boaz who really put himself out there, reliable, dependable, to point others to God. Lord, we're challenged by that, what that might look like in our lives. But we also thank you for Ruth, her faithfulness, in her obedience, her trust in you. And for Naomi too, that you turned her life around because she trusted you. Lord, there's lessons in that for each of us at whatever stage of life we're at and whatever's going on in our lives. But Lord, we ultimately want to come before you this morning going, thank you for loving us so much that you sent Jesus your son. That when we're in need, when we're in our emptiness, Jesus turned up dependable, reliable, bringing us to you. Thanks for Jesus and help us to trust in him always. Help us to, to live for him. That even when we have opportunities to step up and be a hero to others, Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to do it in light of the great love that Jesus has shown us. We pray that us as a church, that we might be able to do this. That when people see us as a church, that we live for Jesus, our hero, but we want to uh, live that out and show them that love and compassion and dependability to others. Guide us in these things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.